see that David at this time, as we open up chapter 19, he is mourning for his son Absalom. And you recall that Absalom um, had committed treason as he uh, took the throne from his father David. And as he stole the hearts of the men of Israel, Absalom's coming into Jerusalem. We know that David would leave Jerusalem with his mighty men. He would leave with his household and his servants. And they would it'd head out into the wilderness. David could have stayed there in Jerusalem and he could have fought, but he didn't want to do that. He did not want to bring war to the city of Jerusalem. So he leaves and Absalom comes into the palace and he's sitting on the throne. He has David's trusted advisor, or at one time it was David's trusted advisor, Ahithophel with him, who is also very bitter towards David. And so they're plotting and planning how they can go against David. And David goes to the top of the Mount of Olives as he's leaving Jerusalem and he begins to worship. And he's seeking the Lord and he's mourning. And, and there is Shemai throwing rocks at him and kicking up dust and cursing him. And, and there's some other bad news that came to him that Mehetheshet, that he is, is forsaking you as well. And it was David that in that time of mourning, we have some of those beautiful psalms that I told you to write down. Psalm 3 and some of the other psalms. Psalm 18, that, that he is speaking of during that time when Absalom is pursuing him. And so there is David as, as he leaves Jerusalem and he goes out by way of the wilderness. And Absalom is seeking counsel from Ahithophel. We know that Ahithophel was very bitter towards David because his granddaughter was Bathsheba. And so for years that bitterness had built out up in Ahithophel, at one time very close to David, his trusted counselor, and, and would talk with David, and, and they took sweet counsel together as David would write in Psalm 55. But then he turned against David because of that bitterness. And so his counsel was like if, if the oracles of God had spoken. And David sent Hushai back to Jerusalem and said, Hushai, confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. So as David is leaving, he also would send back the two priests, Zadok and Abiathar, and their sons. And when you get word of what's going on, then send your sons to come and tell me what's taking place. So all this that we looked at, and, and there was Hushai confusing the counsel of the Hithophel who wanted to pursue David, go after him with 12,000 men that night that David left Jerusalem. That's how bitter he was towards David. I will go and I will kill him, only the king, and then the people can come back in peace. And so it was Hushai that said, that counsel isn't good. What we need to do is buy a little bit of time, gather all the men from Dan, that is in the northern part of the nation, to Beersheba down south, and we need to come upon David like dew upon the ground. So that's what um, Absalom decided to do. And it was God working against Absalom because Absalom, his, his reign and his treason and his rebellion against David would come to an end. And of course, we saw that Absalom's defeat and his death in chapter 18, where we left off last time, as David sends his mighty men out to fight against the men of Israel. And it would be the men of Israel that would defeat, um, uh, or that is David's mighty men, defeating the men of Israel. And we know that Absalom would be killed by Joab. Now, here's the thing. Remember that David had told uh, the men there that before they went out, do not harm my son Absalom. And Joab 
deliberately ignored that. So he kills Absalom. Absalom is thrown into this pit. The news comes back to David that your son is dead. And so David is mourning for his son Absalom. Chapter 19, And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, The king is grieved for his son. And the people, verse 3, stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. So David's men who are loyal to him, now remember that his mighty men have been with him for years now. Clear back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we saw that the mighty man had gathered around David and they'd been faithful to him. They had laid down their lives for him, fought on his behalf through the um, pursuit of Saul against David and all through the wars that David was fighting and this time when Absalom was coming against him. So these guys had been faithful to David and they fought for David. And here was a time when it was a victory for David and the nation really. But we see that David is mourning. He's in great mourning and he's mourning for his son saying, oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom. But the people, they felt, um, that they had done something wrong. Matter of fact, in verse 3, where it says that the people stole back into the city that day, that literally means that they went by stealth. They, they felt ashamed that, that this had happened, that they did something wrong. And so we see that verse 4, that it's going to be Joab in the following verses that going to come and is going to address that with David. And the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants, who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. And now therefore arise and go out and speak comfort to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Now, when you read this, you think that initially that Joab's kind of being a little harsh on David. I mean, his son has died and he's, you know, grieving for him. And I don't think that Joab is rebuking David for grieving. But what he is doing is saying, David, you are sending the wrong message. He knows that David is going to grieve for Absalom. But what Joab is saying is, listen, David, you need to be thankful to your men. You need to be thankful because they were willing to lay down their lives for you. And you've got to remember that it was Absalom that came against us. It was Absalom that was willing to kill you and all of your servants and all of your family. He was willing to, to do that and was going to do that. And these men risked their lives for you. And you're giving the message right now that you love your enemies and that you hate these guys here that have been faithful to you. That you're given the message here that it had been better if they would have died and Absalom would have lived. So that's what David is being rebuked about. And, and I know that in times where we go through sorrow and we go through grieving, you know, it's, it's natural and that's what we're going to do, especially when we're hurting for someone that, that we've lost or maybe there's been a tragedy or something like this. And I know that's what we need to, to pray for Pastor Jim as he goes back and ministers to, 
to Chris's family and to, you know, his good friend that, that passed away and, you know, the friends that are going to gather there at the memorial service. Even though Jim and Chris are going to be grieving, Jim has a message to give. And that is a message of there's hope and a message of the gospel and a, and a message of, you know, comfort that he needs to give to the people in the time of his grieving. David, you need to bring, bring comfort to these men. You need to thank them. You need to keep things in perspective here. And so that's why he's being rebuked in verse 8. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is a king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So David would address the people sitting where he needed to. And then all of a sudden we're going to see that David is going to start making his way back to Jerusalem now that Absalom is dead. Verse 9, now all the people who were in dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So the tribes debate bringing David back. And David wants to be fully restored as king. He wants all the tribes, all 12 of them, to have a desire to bring the king back to Jerusalem. David, once again, isn't going to force himself to come back. He isn't saying, okay, Absalom's dead, that's over with, I'm going to come back and, and begin to rule. He's going to want the, the whole nation to want him back as king. And they here, we see here, it's kind of interesting that that throughout all the tribes of Israel, here they are, we're going to see that they're going to have the dispute and, and bring in David back, and they're going to kind of uh, try to, 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 you know, see who can bring him back and escort him back. You just see this fickleness that's going on. And here they are, they're saying, first of all, the king saved us from our enemies, he delivered us from the Philistines, and, and, but the thing is, uh, now Absalom is dead, who we anointed as king. You see the fickleness of the people. And so the people wanting to bring the king back, there's nothing really being said. So the king David, verse 11, sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king to this very house? So what's happening here is it seems like all the tribes are ready to bring David back, except for one tribe, and that is the tribe of Judah. So David, he sends these two priests that were faithful to him, Zadok and Abiathar. You remember that they wanted to go with David, but David said, go back to Jerusalem. I could use you there to get messengers to me of what's going on. So now he sends these two ambassadors, if you would, to the tribe of Judah, saying, you know what? Why are you holding back? Why aren't you bringing David back since he comes from your tribe, from your very house. Verse 12, you are my brother and you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah just as the heart of one man so that they sent this word to the king, return you and all your servants. So David, uh, in um, sending Zadok and Abiathar, uh, they persuade Judah, the last tribe, to hold out. Uh, it was the tribe that David was from. And you can kind of wonder, why would they be the last ones to hold out? David says that, you know, you're my flesh, you're my bone. I, I came from your tribe. Why are you holding out? 
And we don't really know the answer. It could be that perhaps because from the tribe of Judah, there in Hebron, that's where the rebellion against David started. You recall that it was Absalom that went to Hebron. He began to grow the conspiracy against David. He brought the leaders from Jerusalem. He brought Ahithophel there. And there it would be where he launched his treason and rebellion against David. And so perhaps that was the reason. Maybe it's because, just as Jesus said, that a prophet is not honored in his own country. And you recall that Jesus, he grew up in Nazareth, and in the gospel narratives, what you read is that Jesus at one time, that he went to the synagogue there in Nazareth, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah, he read that section concerning the coming of Messiah and the ministry of Messiah, and he closed it up and he says, it's been fulfilled in your hearing. And the people said, what? What are you saying? Are you saying that you're the Messiah? We know you. We, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know his mother. We know his sisters and his brothers. And, and they drove him out of the synagogue and they were going to throw him over a cliff there in Nazareth. But then all of a sudden it says that Jesus just kind of walked through the crowd. It wasn't his time, of course. It, it would have been interesting to see what happened. Did you know, he knock them all over? You know, it, did he just you know, kind of freeze them and walk through? But anyhow, that he said that a prophet is not honored in his own land and he could do no miracles there because there was the unbelief that was there. So here are the efforts of Zadok and Abiathar, and they include that we'll make Amasa the head of the army. Now, Joab, you recall, who has been the captain of David's army for all these years, he's kind of a loose cannon, and we're going to continue to see that. He deliberately disobeyed David concerning Absalom, and he killed Absalom. So David is going to demote him, um, and we're going to see that he says, we'll make Amasa uh, the captain of my armies. And so verse 15, the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go and meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. Then Shemai, the son of Gura, a Benjamite who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. And then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. So here he is escorted back, David is, as he crosses the Jordan. Remember, he was on the east side of the Jordan River, and he's escorted with the help of Judah and with Benjamin. And there is, first of all, um, as we see coming with him, there's Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul. Now you recall that when David was leaving Jerusalem, that Ziba came with some a uh, couple donkeys saddled with some food and some goods. And he said to David, Hey, uh, Mehithosheth, he's forsaken you, David. And we're going to see a little bit more about that story uh, with Ziba. He's forsaken you. He's hoping that the house of Saul will be restored you know, to the kingdom once again. And that's the word that he gave. So he's with David as they're coming into Israel once again with his household. And there to meet David as well is Shemai. Now you remember Shemai? Shemai was the one that was on the Mount of Olives and he's cursing David and he's kicking up dust and he's throwing rocks at David. And it was um, one of the men of David uh, that would say to him, uh, Abishai, David, let me just go over there and lop his head off for you. So now he is quick to meet David. He hurries down there, and we're going to see how David reacts to him 
in verse 18 as we continue. Now Shemai, the son of Gura, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shemai be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? And therefore the king said to Shemai, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. So Shemai says, Forgive me, David. David shows forgiveness to him. David says, Let him live. No one's going to die in Israel today. So great grace and forgiveness that David has shown to Shemai here. It is, you know, again, um, Abbe, um, it is Abiezai that, um, that wanted to lop his head off and said, surely he shall die. You know, that's a hard thing when you're dealing with somebody who's persecuting you and coming against you. And, and you recall that Shemai was saying to David, curse it, you bloodthirsty man, how you, you know, uh, were ones that murdered the house of Saul and all this. David was kind to the house of Saul. Because David had opportunity to kill Saul, and he didn't. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He had that, that covenant that he made with Jonathan and, and being kind to his family. So David was really kind to the house of Saul. And David was unfairly being cursed at by Shemai when he's down and he's mourning and he's, he's being run out of Jerusalem. And David very easily could have reacted and said, yeah, let's lop his head off. He deserves it. And it just shows that, that David was a man of mercy and grace as he, he forgives him for this, Shemai, you shall not surely die. It reminds me how the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, has forgiven us. Because maybe at one time we were ones that we were cursing the Lord and, and we were ones that you know, weren't interested in Him and, and didn't want anything to do with Him. We were at enmity against the Lord, but the Lord has forgiven us as we've come and asked for forgiveness and surrendered our lives to him. And it's a wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incredible unmerited favor of God that he has poured upon us. It's absolutely incredible. So David gives us a little picture of that here. And then in verse 24, now he's going to deal with Mehetheshef. And Mehetheshef, the son of Saul, came to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day that he returned in peace. So they could probably smell him coming when he was coming to meet David because he hadn't taken a bath or taken care of himself or changed his clothes or anything. In verse 25, so it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, uh, Mehetheshef? And he said, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your table. Therefore what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? 
In verse 29, so the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mehithesheth said to the king, rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. We see here his reaction, Mehithesheth, in, in this situation. It was Ziba that lied about him. My king, I didn't go with you because we were saddling the donkeys and Ziba left me and he slandered me. What he told you was a lie. I wasn't wanting the house of Saul to be restored. I wanted to go with you because you've treated me so good. And so here is, is um, Mehithesheth and he's saying to him that I'm not going to cry out anymore to the king because you have been so good to me. And you do to me what you seem is right. And, and you've been so gracious to me. I've been able to sit at, at your table. So what more do I have to cry out to you anymore? And it was David that said, well, you and Ziba divide the land up. Kind of like, I'm not quite sure what to believe. And, and he's going, Mehithesheth, he can have it all. I don't care. All I care about is that I get to sit at your table once again in your presence. That you come back with peace. And what my prayer for us here at Calvary Chapel, for all of us that are here tonight, is that we would have this kind of mindset. That we would say, Lord, you know what? You've been so good to me. And, and I don't care about all the, the other things. What I care about is being in your presence. And you do good, what seems good to you, to me. And, and you've blessed me so much. I have more than what I deserve. And that's what he's saying here. I have your unmerited favor. And, and if you give, take it all away, that's okay. Because I'm still your child. And I'm going to sit at your table one day. Mehetasheth, he got to sit at the king's table. And he said, that's all that matters to me. The question for us to ask ourselves tonight is, what is our priority in our hearts? Is it, Lord, you that one day I know that I'm going to sit with you and have dinner with you. We're all going to be at the, the marriage feast of the Lamb having dinner with the Lord, sitting at His table. Is that a, something that we get excited about? All the other stuff that we have, we're thankful for it. it. It's wonderful. But here's the thing. It's all going to go away. And what is important for us and a priority should be for us is, Lord, I want to be in your presence. One thing that I desire would be what David would write. One thing that I desire the Lord more than anything it's to be in your temple, to be in your presence, Lord. Oh, Lord, just to, to love you and to serve you, to, to be close to you. That's what David desired more than anything. To behold the beauty of the Lord is what he would write in the Psalms. And I hope that's our desire as well. And then there's one other person that is here, that Barzillai, as we read about him, the Gileadite, in verse 31, he came down from Roglan and went across to the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. And Barzillai had a, was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanium, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come across with me, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of the singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? 
Please let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city near um, the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Shimham shall cross over with me. That was Barzillai's son. And I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over to Jordan, and the king had crossed over. The king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. So we see here that this elderly man, Barzillai, was kind to David, showed, um, you know, gave him supplies. And, and uh, here is a man, Barzillai, that was a blessing to the brethren there. What I hope and pray is that we would be a blessing to others as well that we have opportunity to give to them in, in a way that the Lord would have us to. And here from Barzillai, here was a man that was humble and very content man. And I don't know, I think that when we get older, I think those two things should be really worked into our lives, that we become more humble and that we become more content, just being thankful for the way that God has blessed us and what he has done in our lives. And that's what Barzillai says, you go ahead. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to die in my own city. The Lord's been good to me. And, and I'm going to stay there. Take my son with you. In verse 40, we see that there's another quarrel about the king as the king went on to Gilgal and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. And just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over the matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king, therefore we also have more right to David than you. And why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the man of Judah were fiercer, fiercer than the words of the man of Israel. So again, the fickleness. Here they are fighting like junior high kids. And, you know, Judah and Benjamin are bringing them back, and the other ten tribes are saying, hey, we want to be a part of this. And, and Judah and Benjamin are saying, bug off. We got this taken care of. And they're saying, well, we got more of an inheritance. Weren't we the first ones that wanted to bring them back? And so there's this quarreling, and it's actually going to show up later on in their history when the house of Israel splits off from the house of Judah after the reign of Solomon. And so here's this quarreling going on. It, it, one minute they were against David, and, and now they're fighting about bringing them back. Chapter 20, and then there happened to be a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of uh, Bechari, a Benjamite. He blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse, every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bechari, but the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. So here are those ten tribes fighting with Judah, hey, we want to be able to bring him back, and now they're deserting David once again. So now David's facing this, you know, rebellion that has popped up, one rebellion put down, now here comes another rebellion, and so they go to their tents, and it's all led by this man who has a heart of rebellion, and he blows the trumpet, and he says that, number one, that we have no share in David's sovereignty, that is, David has no right to rule over us, Second of all, no inheritance with the son of Jesse do we have. That is, we do not want to identify with David. And then thirdly, every man to his tent. In other words, we're going to go do our own thing. We're going to go our own way. 
It's the same three things that a person who's rebelling against Christ, that's what they say in their hearts. I don't want him to rule sovereignly over my life. I don't want to identify with him. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. I want to be the master of my own fate. That is what we see in the hearts of those who rebel against the Lord. And that's why we need to pray that, Lord, Lord, that you would open up their hearts and take the blindness away. They, they would see that you are sovereign. And, Lord, that as they open their hearts to you, as, as we do, that the Lord is so good when he sovereignly rules over our hearts. How wonderful it is to identify with him and then to walk in his ways. And so this rebellion pops up, and David came to his house at Jerusalem, verse 3, and the king took the ten <coughs> women, his concubines, who had left to keep the house, put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood because of what Absalom had done. And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days, and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the time, set time which David had appointed him. So David, um, he goes to his new general here, his new captain, and Joab appears to be demoted. And Amasa, who actually followed Absalom, kind of interesting what's going on here. Hey, gather the troops up there in Judah. We're going to go after Sheba, and we're going to put an end to this. You come back in three days. You need to be here, and the troops need to be here. But he delayed. We don't know why he delayed. But we read, and David said to Abishai, that is Joab's brother, now Sheba, the son of Bershri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape this. So Joab's men with the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men went after him, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bershri. And when they were at a large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath. At its hips, as he was going forward, it fell out. Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bershri. So here Joab, he's with the men. He's in battle array. And with deceit, he ends up killing Amasa, much like what he did, as you recall, with uh, Abner in Second Samuel chapter 3. So Amasa, you know, catching up with the guys, I picture him, oh, fine, sorry I'm a little late and slow. And Job takes advantage of the situation. Job, who's a loose cannon, and he uses deception to kill him. So he puts a sword through him. In verse 11, Meanwhile, one of the Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. Hey, follow Joab. He's now taken over. If you're for David, you're going to follow after Joab. Now, we've heard the, the term guilt by association. There's another term, good by association. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, if you're for Christ, then you're going to follow this movement that comes blowing through the church. 
If you're really for Jesus, you're going to get involved in this thing, this new anointing or this new movement, or you're going to get involved in this event, or you're going to get involved in, in what we want to do in the community, or you're going to get involved in some social cause. And you see, we can get the pressure, and we can, as individuals and as a church, hey, if you got to do this as a Christian, if you're really for Jesus, you've got to get your people mobilized. Really? I'm going to seek the Lord on it and seek his word on it. So that's what's happening here. Hey, if you're for David, you're going to follow after, you know, Joab. But Amasa wallowed in his blood, verse 12, in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him. That was nice of him. And when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted, and when he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Betchrai. So we see here that they naturally follow, you know, as Joab, he takes command of David's troop. They were used to this. They naturally followed him. So Joab's going to find this man who has led this rebellion, verse 14, and he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Mahaka and all the Berites, and so they were gathered together and also went after Sheba, and then they came and besieged him in Abel at Beth Mahaka, and they cast a siege against the city, and it stood by the rampart, and all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. So here he is in Abel, he, he's held up, Sheba is, they find him, they're going to tear the wall down, they're going to destroyed this city in verse 16 then a wise woman cried out from the city here here please say to joab come nearby that i may speak with you and when he had come near to to her the woman said are you joab and answer i am and then she said to him hear the words of your maidservant and he answered i am listening so she spoke saying they used to talk in former times saying they shall surely seek guidance at abel so they would end disputes i am among the peaceable and faithful in israel you seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel? Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Why are you doing this? Why are you attacking our city? We're a peaceful city. We used to be used to give counsel and, and, um, and settle things in former times. And you're going to destroy us and our inheritance? And Joab in verse 20 answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy, that it is not so. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Birchrai, by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I'll depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, Watch this, his head's going to be thrown to you over the wall. And then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Birchrai, and threw it out to Joab. And then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. He says, there's a man in there leading rebellion against the king. Deliver him, and it'll be all over. So she goes back and tells everybody, hey, let's throw his head out to Joab. So pretty soon it comes flying out of the you know, gate of the city at Joab, and it's over with. You know, sometimes when people lead rebellions, they got that rebellious spirit, I think, you know, have they lost their head? What is going on? I mean, what is going on in there? And one thing I do know for sure, that if you have a spirit of rebellion, as we have seen very clearly going through First and Second Samuel, as we see going through the whole of Scriptures, you are not going to get ahead. And you might think that if I rebel, if I have that spirit of rebellion, if, if I come against somebody in a very ungodly way, in an ungodly manner, you are not going to get ahead. And God is not going to bless it. And you're going to end up hurting a lot of people. And you're going to end up 
you know, just uh, going about in, in confusion because you want to pursue something. You want something badly. You want to lead others in your rebellion. And we need to be, first of all, careful that we don't let people lead us in that way. And then second of all, we don't want to have that kind of attitude at all as well. So here his head comes out, and that's so much for that rebellion. Verse 23 through 26, we see David's government officers, Joab and some of the others. Sheba was the scribe, Zadok, Abiathar, priest, and Ira was the chief minister under David. He was like a chaplain to David. And then quickly, chapter 21, and now there was famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So here is this famine that's happened for three years, and we know that, that David... He inquires of the Lord. Now, I don't know why he waited three years, but he did. But at least he inquired of the Lord. But I do want to say this. If you feel like that you're going through a time of famine spiritually in your life, seek the Lord. That's the key. Seek the Lord. Go to him. Ask him. Search the scriptures. And the Lord's going to minister to you, and he's going to to um, comfort you and he's going to give you answers he's going to give you strength seek the lord in those times of famine so here is david seeking the lord and he says because of the gibeonites so the king called the gibeonites and spoke to them now the gibeonites were not of the children of israel but the remnant of the amorites and the children of israel had sworn protection to them but saul had sought to kill them in a zeal for the children of israel and judah now here's the quiz for you guys all right do you remember these guys the gibeonites you know study the old testament Joshua chapter 9, remember? And in Joshua chapter 9, as Joshua was going in shortly after that he had uh, defeated Jericho, that the Gibeonites said, ooh, we can't defeat the children of Israel. They're going to destroy us. So they tricked Joshua into making a covenant. And Joshua made a covenant with them that we will not destroy you. You guys will be our servants. Now Joshua, after he had found out that he was tricked, that they were one of the tribes of the Canaanites that were to be destroyed and pursued when they went into the promised land, he had to keep that promise. So here it is, 400 years later after Joshua chapter 9, and David seeking the Lord, and the Lord said, hey, there was a covenant that the children of Israel made with the Gibeonites not to destroy them, but you know what? That you were going to protect them, and they were going to serve you. And Saul in his zeal killed the Gibeonites. So that's why there's this famine going on. Now, it's not recorded in 1 Samuel when Samuel did that, but he did that at one time. So here is God saying, I expect you to keep that promise after 400 years. I'm so thankful that the Lord, that he keeps his promises to us, even though some of these promises are thousands of years old. All these promises are that are in this book that the Lord gives to us are still true today. The promises and the covenant that he's made with us, his word given to us is still true today. And so here David, he goes to them and he said to the Gibeonites in verse 3, what shall I do for you and with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We shall have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And then they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, 
Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we'll hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. So the king spared Mehetheshet, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And he, verse 8, took Armani and Mehetheshep, a different one, the two sons of Rezpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up from Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Mehelathite. So this is a different Barzillai. In other words, seven sons are delivered over to the Gibeonites, descendants of Saul, and so he delivered them, verse 9, into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days of the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told that Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. And then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, and the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the streets of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul of Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there and gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin of Zelah, and the tomb of Kish, his father, so they perform all that the king commanded. After that, God heeded the prayer of the land. So these men are hung, and, and you wonder why and, and why this happened. I do know this, that you know what? Sin affects a lot of people. And when you sin, it affects the people that you love the most. Your spouse and your children, those that are linked to you in a very special way. And Saul had sin in his zeal. And seven descendants ended up being hung on a tree. And, and then we see that the, the, the you know, Rizpah was um, there and, you know, she was um, there uh, vigil over the bodies until the late rains came. And David came and took care of the bodies and their bones and laid them to a proper burial. And then as we finish chapter 21, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David, his servants with him, went down and fought against the Philistines. And David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. David's getting older. He doesn't have the strength that he did. And this giant almost kills him, and, and it's Abishai that comes to his rescue and ends up killing the giant. And verse 18, now it happened afterward that there was again a battle in the Philistines of Gob, and then Shebhekai, uh, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. And in verse 19, there was uh, a war again at Gob and the Philistines, and you see that um, this one ends up killing the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the Shapha, whose spear was like a weaver's bean. And then, verse 20, there was another giant there. It was a man of great stature, had six fingers in each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was born to the giants. I have a feeling he wasn't very good looking either. And so, when he defiled Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemai, and David's brothers killed him. So David's brothers also killed giants. 
And these four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. In other words, it is um, Goliath that had four brothers. Could it be that's why David took up five stones? One for Goliath in case he had to fight his four brothers. That's why he took up the five stones. So David's brothers and David's men ended up killing giants. I want to leave you with this, and I know we've covered a lot here tonight. Notice that David's men, that they killed giants. Saul's men never killed a giant. And as you stay close to the Lord, you're going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think and ask. You're going to do a whole lot more than if you're just involved in the world and you know, pursuing the things of the world. But if you stay close to the king, in your life you're going to see that, wow, the Lord's having me kill giants. The Lord is working in such a way that these giant you know, circumstances and difficulties and challenges that I face, you know, the Lord is doing the work, but you're going to have the strength to be able to get through those times because you've been hanging out with the king and you've been learning of him and you're submitted to him. David's men followed him, were faithful to him, and they were killing giants. Saul's men never killed a single giant that's recorded. And if you pursue the things of the world and you're involved in the world and involved with Saul's men, you're not going to do anything near what you could do if you are fully submitted to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. I pray that's our heart here tonight. The Lord, we want to be committed to you. I want to be committed to you fully. And so, Father, that's our prayer. That's what I hope, that we would have that full commitment to you in our lives. And, Lord, as we covered these chapters very quickly and, and gone over them, there's so much to learn from. But, Lord, I do pray that we would be ones, that we would be about staying close to you, desiring to just um, be faithful to you, and, Lord, to walk with you. Father, I pray that we would be submitted to you fully. And Father, I do pray tonight if there's anyone that's here in this building, maybe sitting out in a coffee shop, maybe he's going to listen to this message later on the radio, that if you've never fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace is so incredible. He's overcome a, the, the giant of sin, the problem of sin, and that is Jesus Christ came and died for us, the King of kings, the greater than David the one that the people cried out, Son of David, because he was a descendant of David. But our Lord, the Son of God, came and died for you and took care of that giant problem of sin because you see, sin brings death. And he came and died for your sins. He died for you in place of you, so you don't have to die. That is eternally. That you can have the hope of heaven, forgiveness of sin, and know that one day you're going to be sitting at the king's table in his presence. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here listening to this message, that they've never surrendered fully to the gospel, that they would do so right now. That Jesus Christ is your only hope. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other means of forgiveness. And the scripture says today is the day of salvation. That if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. As you realize that you're a sinner that needs to repent, the scripture says, that is turn to Jesus Christ and cry out to him. He died for you. He's made for provision for forgiveness of sin. 
and you cry out to him with your heart, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I am a sinner, I confess it. And right now I surrender my heart, I open my heart to you. Be my Lord and Savior because I believe you are the Son of God who died for me. Forgive me, and I know that you're alive, you rose from the grave. Thank you for giving me life, for salvation, for forgiveness of sin. And for all of us, that we would be fully dedicated in following the Lord in our lives. That there wouldn't be a spirit of rebellion. There wouldn't be that, that Lord, we want to go our own way and, and just dwell in my tent. But, Lord, that we would be ones that we follow you, be loyal to you, and allow you to work in our lives to where you are doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But, Lord, I also pray for this. Because I know that sometimes as a Christian and, and sometimes as we live in this life, there are people that come against us like Shemai does and curses us and wants to throw things at us, throw hurtful words or whatever it might be. And Lord, I pray that you would just be our protector, our defense. Lord, that you would be the one that would be our provider. And Lord, just as David said when Shemai was doing that, that maybe you'll see my affliction and you'll do good for me. And we know that you will, Lord, because you promise that you will be our stronghold. And I pray that you bring comfort to the one here tonight that needs that word. That, Lord, that you are going to be their defender. Lord, you're going to be the one that's going to, to keep them under the shadow of your wings. And, Lord, that we would just stay faithful to you that we would do rightly, that, Lord, that we would react in a way that is godly. Father, bless your people. Again, we just pray for, for those that we know that... Um